Sundays. I have been talking about God at work, and it's a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, I think that's an enormously important subject, especially when we read Acts chapter 19. Very interesting. Uh, Acts chapter 19 verse 1 says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. So he found some saved people. These were disciples. These were believers. These were Christian. And asked them, in the second verse, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is what's very interesting to me, is they answered, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And what's, what's very interesting about that is that this is some 20 to 22 years beyond the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And some 20 years has passed, and here are some disciples, some Christians, some believers in Jesus that are saying, we haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Spirit And I think that's pretty curious, except for the fact that I believe even now, 2,000 years later, there are Christians, there are people, they go to church. They They are disciples of Christ that really have the same testimony that we haven't even heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. And I believe that there's a reason for that, especially in our generation. That when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's easy to talk about God the Father because, you know, we get that. Or it's very easy to talk about God the Son because, yeah, we all love Jesus. We got the bumper sticker, you know. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, people start shirking away because through the years there's been some bad theology concerning the Holy Spirit. But in a lot of ways there's been some bad practice concerning the Holy Spirit. I mean, whole denominations... Kind of, kind of shy away from and ignore the work of the Holy Spirit because their idea of the Holy Spirit is that, well, if we get the Holy Spirit loose in here, uh, people are going to start doing that chicken dance thing. You know, that there are excesses, that there are abuses that are attributed to the Holy Spirit that, to be honest with you, and I'm a pretty good student of this, to be honest with you, There's just a lot of stuff blamed on the Holy Spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. I mean, it might be an emotional outburst. It might be a personal feeling. I said, well, that was God. Well, maybe it wasn't. Especially if what is done is of the sensational in in the sense that you just kind of leave your head scratching saying, what exactly just happened? I mean, I've left, I've left church services like that. What, what was that? What just, what just happened? And so I think to myself that as we study the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and please bear with me if you're, if you're um, new here today, I, I, really want, I really want to help you understand this. This particular series is not really one of those kind of series that we do that has like a practical application in your life where I'm, I'm teaching you or we're preaching on you know, something that may be a minister in that sense. I, I call that, that practice or practical type teaching. For instance, our last series before this one, we, we spent weeks talking about how to, how to deal with trouble in your life. 
And every week we gave pointers on, okay, well, if you're facing this, then here's some pointers on how to deal with that in your life. And it was a very practical, uh, give you some answers concerning that type of series. This series, and, and you know, the Bible calls us sheep, right? And, and we were kind of grazed on that practical hill for a while. This particular series has us grazing on another hill, and it's, it's more of a theological hill. You know, you're not really, you're not probably not going to get goosebumps, or you're you're not going to leave here today and think, well, you know, that 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 really answers the question on 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 how I how I solve this problem in my life, um, unless unless one of your problems is a total misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. Matter of fact, in first church, and and this is something that an elder preacher taught me years ago. He's like, you know. I mean, we used to have like a really loud church, and, and people would get real nervous if you were preaching and there was no noise going on while you were preaching. And he said, you know what, if you're ever on one of them subjects that the people are just really quiet, he said one way to kind of reset the people's mind is just to admit that it's quiet in the house. So I just say something like, boy, it sure is quiet in the room right now, but it's going to be okay. And I discovered years ago that that really kind of helps people get through that awkward silence that, you know... Because silence doesn't mean that we disagree. Now, in that denomination, it kind of did. So, but, I mean, for us, silence, y'all know what I'm talking about. I saw that laugh. I thought, some of you know what I did. You know, if you're silent during a, during a sermon, that means, you know, I preached for a guy one time. He didn't do this to me, thankfully, but I knew that he had done it to a friend of mine. The preacher kept a microphone by his chair that was on at all times. The sound people were told, never, you don't turn that mic off. It was a corded mic, and they kept that on at all times. And, and, and while you were preaching, if you said something that the pastor didn't agree with, he would pick that mic up and go, y'all don't listen to that now. I don't agree with that. <laughs> Crazy stuff right there, let me tell you. I was worried when I preached there that he was going to do that. You know, you've got to be very careful just to keep it in the middle of the road. You know what I'm saying? And, and that was just really something else. But, but silence, silence. As somebody coming to me this morning, they, they said, you know what, don't think my, our silence, we're learning. And then this individual started telling me that they had never heard this teaching in their entire Christian experience. They had never heard. And they would say, you know what? I really believe that the Holy Spirit's been at work in my life. And I was just unaware of it because I'd never been taught about it. But I think you have to, you have to teach on it in such a way that, number one, is true biblically. And, and, and number two, that, that really does kind of remove the spooky... Remove like if the Holy Spirit moves on me, I'm going to do a chicken dance type of thing. Kind of remove that. So we're trying to answer two questions. The first question that we talked about was, who is the Holy Spirit? And I think that it's important in my, in my title here, I just kind of gave you the answer to that, uh, my broke down war, you know, answer to who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God at work. Like everywhere you see the Holy Spirit moving and touching and ministering in the, in the Bible, everywhere you see the Holy Spirit crop up, something's happening. Something's happening. God at work. And then, and then this second question is extremely important. What does the Holy Spirit do? Like, I mean, does the Holy Spirit do that? What, what, what is the, the Holy Spirit at work doing if it is truly God at work in our lives? 
So in attempting to answer that, I've taken a few weeks here, in an attempt to answer that, we, we talked last week about the fruit of the Spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit creates fruit in our lives and helps us with our actions and our attitudes in such a way that, that we can't do on our own, that we need the work of the Holy Spirit producing these fruit because these fruit are the things that empower us to be who God has called us to be. Then today I want to talk about, and this is, this is one of those subjects that you kind of have to slow down a little bit, and we're going to talk about it, that we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. And we need to differentiate something here for us, because when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, where the Bible talks about them, the gifts of the Spirit, these are not the ministry offices of Christ. That's a, that's a completely different gifting that God has given to the church, that there are gifts of administration, there are pastoral gifts, that there are evangelist gifts, there's prophetic gifts, that, that these gifts are the ministry offices of Christ. And we're, we're not dealing with that, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. We're not dealing with that. that that's a completely different sermon series, the ministry offices of Christ. But now the Holy Spirit does have gifts that work in more than one category. There is a gifting of the, Holy, of the Holy Spirit that is called grace gifts. The grace gifts. Some of them are listed, such as the gift of serving, or the gift of giving, or the gift of, of teaching. There's, there's the gift of encouragement. These are gifts that are given to us as individuals, and these are permanent gifts in our life. The grace gifts are permanent gifts. That's why we take time in our Next Steps program in 201. We take time there to give you a gift survey to kind of help you understand. What are the grace gifts? Where, where am I most effective in my life by the grace gifts that God has given? And then we try to help you put those grace gifts into practical use here at our church in the kingdom of God. So all of us have these grace, grace gifts, and some of us are, 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 are gifted in one area and some in the other, and that's the, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ, that we're not all gifted exactly the same in our grace gifts. Therefore, therefore we get a multitude of things done, because what you're really good at, someone else may be weak in, and what they're really good at, you may be weak in, and so God has, has given us grace gifts in our lives that are in permanent residence, that what you do, you do well, and you will always be able to do it well because you are gifted by grace and the Holy Spirit to do that. So if we're not discussing that, which we are going to discuss grace gifts in this series, but, but I, I want to deal with this gifts of the Spirit. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? Let me say it like this, and hopefully you'll understand this definition. The gifts of the Spirit are momentary manifestations of the Spirit that are not permanent offices in the church. In other words, the Spirit may manifest one of these gifts through anyone at any time, but they're not, they're not permanent in the individual. They are permanent within the Holy Spirit. They belong to Him. And they reside within the operation of the church because any one of us could be used in any one of these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 begins this discourse. Now to each one 
the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as he determines. And so it's not in me or it's not in you to say, well, I have the gift of this or I have the gift of that. No, there is an available in us for all of the gifts, but the gifts belong to the Holy Spirit, not to the individual, the gifts of the Spirit. They belong to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit distributes them as he determines that they are to be distributed within the church. Is anybody in the house right now? Okay, just making sure. So when we think about that, we have categories. And there are three primary categories for these gifts. And I will use traditional language at this point. There are gifts of knowledge. Gifts of knowledge are supernatural knowings. You just know something that you don't know how in the world you know it. Under supernatural knowing, there is a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. All right? So it is a supernatural knowing. For instance, a few Wednesdays ago, uh, Kevin and Lindsay Hill were in the process of, of having their new baby. And on a Wednesday night, we were in here praying, and I felt this impression inside of me that we needed to pray for Lindsay and her pregnancy and her delivery. I had no reason, no reason at all to know that that needed to happen other than I felt impressed. Now, I sat on, I kind of prayed, we were praying, I, I waited out, and then finally at the end of, the, of, of our pray for a session, I just said, Lindsay, I just feel that, I'm, that we're supposed to pray for you for this delivery to be normal and for everything to go without any, without any complications. All right? Then Lindsay texted me after service and said, what you didn't know. See, that's important. What you didn't know is that at my appointment on Monday, they told me that this baby is laying sideways in the womb and that if, if, um, if something doesn't happen that they're going to they're gonna have to take the baby C-section because, because it can't be born breech. I had no idea of that. I had no reason to know that. But yet in prayer, I had a supernatural knowing come on me that can only be attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. All right? So then we go to the next set of gifts, and there are gifts of power. This is supernatural doing. The gift of faith is one of those. The gifts of healing and working of miracles. Okay, gifts of healings and working of miracles. Now, now this is how that plays out. I don't, know, I don't know whose prayer it was. There's a whole group of people that gathered around Lindsay back there, and they prayed, and I am telling you, and Lindsay and Kevin can both tell you, God is our witness, that baby miraculously turned in her womb and was born in 
less than six hours with no complications, head down exactly like we had prayed for that to happen. I have a feeling that somebody that prayed for her operated in a gift either of healing or a gift of miracles. And when their prayer was in conjunction with the gifts of the Spirit, God did a miraculous thing. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Now, nobody felt any. I didn't, I, we didn't feel, I didn't feel a goosebump. I didn't feel nothing. Nobody did the chicken dance. Nobody ran through the wall and broke the sheetrock. Nobody did nothing. Know what I'm saying? But yet, the gifts of the Spirit were clearly in operation. Clearly in operation. And there was no disorder. There was no, nobody left scratching their head going, what in the world just happened? All right? And so, and so that's a very important thing. And then the third category are gifts of utterance. This is supernatural speaking. We're going to spend some time on this in the next few minutes. There's a gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. Okay? Now before we get that, let's say this. These gifts are enablings of the Spirit. They are not man-made. That's not, I can't make this happen. You can't make this happen. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God at work. Through us, through people. And it is through the Holy Spirit within us that we are enabled to do these works. And it's God who determines when they're going to be used and how they're going to be used and through whom they're going to be used. And I will say this, that the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gifts of utterance, and we're going to talk about that, but the gifts of spirits can be terribly misunderstood by people. Because people have a tendency to do stuff and blame it on the Holy Spirit that was never the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm going to get way ahead of myself by saying it like this. You know what? The Holy Spirit is not in the business of creating confusion among the body. It's just not. The Holy Spirit is not in the business of creating dissension in the body. And there's been a lot of people confused and divided, blaming it on the Holy Spirit. So one thing I love about Oral Roberts and the ministry of Oral Roberts was that, that he was clearly used by the Holy Spirit in several gifts. There were, you know, his ministry, there, he was clearly, the gifts of the Spirit clearly manifested through him on many occasions. For instance, the power gifts operated in his crusades and people were healed. I mean, he would pray for people and people were healed. But not everyone was healed. Matter of fact, someone did the numbers on that and said that right around 10% of the people that Oral Roberts prayed for actually received healing. Therefore, instead of Oral Roberts going on some tangent, because he understood that the gift of miracles and the gift of healing, that's God. It isn't Oral Roberts, it's God. That God chooses. He's just being an obedient servant saying, at some, when's the gift going to operate? When's the, and he's praying for people. And, and, and therefore, instead of going to some excess and have some wacko doctrine about healing, like don't go to the doctor, like many people still yet to this day believe and do. Or Robert's taught a balance doctrine on healing that included the gift of medicine, that he said that all good and perfect gifts come from God the Father, and that if we have penicillin, it's because God gave it to us. 
that if we have knowledge to do surgery, it's because God gave that knowledge. And so he balanced the gifts of the Spirit with a very practical understanding that we're not going to go off on this tangent to say that you can't go to a doctor. See, that is now you're blaming something on the Holy Spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. And it creates confusion. It creates people that shrink away from it and say, well, I don't want nothing to do with that. And there's a lot of people that way today. Now, I'm going to specifically here in the next few moments talk about the gifts of utterance because these vocal gifts can be the most misunderstood, the most misused, and, and really can be the most disruptive in the body of Christ. There are some things that we need to understand about the gifts of the Spirit. Let's look real quick at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He, you know, Paul saying, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. We need the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. But then he qualifies that by saying, but especially, especially desire prophecy. All right, And then he explains it, and then we're going to talk uh, uh, in, in some more explanation. Listen, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and comfort. So he's literally saying... If you, if you speak in a tongue, you're speaking to God, and, and, and that edifies you. But it doesn't edify anyone else because they don't know what you're saying. I mean, it's like, how much would you get out of this sermon today if I preached the entire sermon in tongues? You wouldn't, under, you wouldn't understand anything. I wouldn't even know what I was preaching, actually. And I mean, I might ride out of the house on cloud nine, but all of you would be sitting there going, what in the world just happened? That was the wackiest thing I've ever seen in my life. And see, when he said prophesy, prophecy is what you do in the language of those who are listening. Matter of fact, the word prophecy can even be, be intertwined with the English word Preaching or declaring. That really, if you want to look at a biblical example of prophecy, I'm prophesying right now. And what Paul is teaching them is, if we come in the house and all we do is speak in an unknown tongue, how is anybody bettered by that? Except the individual who is self-edified. All right? But for the rest, there is no Benefit because they don't understand what you're saying. And then it says this in verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. That's what I just said. And then he said, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. So he's not preaching against speaking in tongues. But then he says, I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues 
unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now listen to this. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? He's saying, what, what good am I to you? If something doesn't happen in the arena of our own understanding. First thing I want you to see here is that the gifts of the Spirit are always operating in love. And this is very important, especially for people who claim to have words from God for people. The gifts of the Spirit will never manipulate. Never. Manipulation is not love. And if you think it is, you need to get into some good marriage counseling or relationship counseling in your life. Manipulation is not love. Paul wrote and said, pursue that love. Desire the spiritual gifts, but understand that any manifestation of a gift should be soundly established in love. Second, he said that the threefold purpose of the gifts, but especially prophecy, is for strengthening which in many translations is edification or to build up, encouraging or exhortation, which is to, to, uh, to bring strength to, or to comfort. Vocal gifts are never to tear someone down. They are always to build people up. Someone shouldn't walk away from that experience and think, oh my God, my life is worse They should walk away from that experience and say, something's better. And I will say this, that that the gifts of the Spirit never are to bring confusion to the body. By someone making a spectacle or drawing unusual attention to themselves. The Holy Spirit isn't in the confusion business. This is another point that I think is extremely important. And listen to me closely. The gifts of the Spirit are not directional. They are confirmational. Vocal gifts are not directional. They are confirmational. They should confirm. If someone speaks a word of prophecy over you and says something, then it should be a confirmation of what you've already been hearing from God in your own spirit. A gift of the Spirit should never catch somebody by surprise. I think this is extremely important. The gifts are not be, to be used to give specific directions, such as who to marry or where you should live or move or some other life situation going on in someone's life. I mean, this may be way ahead of myself, but this is why even I, when I, am, when I am praying with people or when I am pastorally caring for people, I never say God said. I never say God said. I, I, I never look at somebody and say, God told me to tell you this. Why? Because I am violating something we're about to learn, but I think it's important for us to hear this. We're violating something. If I already ascribe it to God, I don't give that individual any opportunity to weigh it out as to whether or not it really is or not. And so I'll say things like, well, I feel like maybe I have an impression that maybe, but you need to go home and pray about this. Because it's not up to me to tell you what God said in that regard. 
It's up to you to discover what is God saying. I think I probably feel very, very deeply about this because my mom, as I was growing up, my mom would teach us about the things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And my mom was very emphatic about that one thing, knowing that I was, especially knowing later that I was going into ministry. And she would tell me a story about a family that she knew from East Texas that someone stood up in a church service, a preacher stood up in a church service and says, Thus saith the Lord, you need to move from here and you need to move down to South Texas and, and, and God has a plan for you down there. And that family thought that was from God because the preacher said it was from God. They loaded their family up and moved to Pasadena, Texas, and the husband was killed in a refinery fire three weeks later. And that entire family is godless as far as I know to this very day. They turned their back on God because they said, why would God do this to us? My mom recounted that story. I said, you be very careful when you start ascribing things to God. Well, it is quiet in the house today, but anyway. If God is truly speaking a word, he's going to speak to your heart. And that gift should be confirmational as a strengthening or an encouraging or a comfort. So when we talk about the difference between tongues and prophecy, in a nutshell, tongues are spoken to God and are unknown to the ones, to the one who is speaking it or to those who are listening. And prophecy is spoken for God in a known language. Paul says there are some parameters to that that we've got to live by. It's funny to me that Paul doesn't give one fence for a gift of healing. Not one. Not one instruction on when, where, why, or how. Paul doesn't give one guideline for a gift of miracles. Not a single one. But when it comes to the vocal gifts, listen to what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So what what are we saying here? What Paul's saying is, and what we need to understand is, when it comes to tongues biblically, there are various uses for tongues by the Holy Spirit. And one of those uses is for self-edification. That means that's just your prayer language, that's your worship language, and that's just between you and God and no one else. But then there's the gifts of the Spirit tongues that are clearly a manifestation that would capture the attention of people in the church and then somebody there would then be used by the Holy Spirit to interpret what was just said. Does that make sense? So these are two different uses, completely different uses. While some people say, well, you should never speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. No, that's not true. The Bible is very clear that there is a use of tongues that is strictly for personal edification. That there need no need for an interpreter. That's what he just said. That you should speak to yourself and to God. But the, but, the, but the important thing about that is in the corporate setting, 
We have to be very careful about our prayer language and how that exercises in the corporate setting because it could bring confusion. Because if you're just praying in your own prayer language and you're worshiping the Lord and there's no, meant for, no, no, no need for interpretation because it's your prayer language... It's your worship, you're worshiping, it's your worship language, and, it's, and you're being very loud with that in the corporate setting, it's going to bring confusion. because, And that's what Paul is saying. You need to quieten down. Just kind of take the volume down where you're not being disruptive. <laughs> okay. I mean, hey, this is what Paul taught, folks. I'm just teaching right straight out of these verses. So you need to quiet down. Let's to not be disruptive. Then there are other times that that the, the, the gift manifests for an interpretation. But, 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 but let me say this, you know, uh, this is a tricky one because I've heard a bunch of stuff called tongues interpretation that ain't no way God said that. I mean, especially if he's talking in the king's English. Heard a story... Out of Mississippi. Mississippi. Strange things happen in Mississippi. The church was having a business meeting and the people were arguing, arguing, just this argument, just fight in this business meeting. This church, there was this little elderly lady sitting on the front row. And I don't know what exactly happened to her, whether it was really the Holy Spirit or what. I'm going to let you judge that, um, whether or not what you think. Um, but she's sitting up there on the front row, and she, this argument had just gone on, the fighting and just, just turmoil, just all this going on. And finally, she just started speaking out tongues really loud, and everybody in the room, that just shut the whole room up. And just elderly ladies sitting on the front row just speaking out in this unknown language. And then she commenced to interpret it herself, and this was her interpretation. Thus saith the Lord, shut up, shut up, shut up! You judge it, you judge it, you judge it. I know where I lean as a pastor. I'm leaning real heavy toward the lady and the Holy Spirit, right? There have been a lot of times, there have been a lot of times I could hear the Lord say, Shut up, shut up, shut up! I'll let you judge that. I'll let you judge it. I I don't know. I really don't. I wasn't there. But we go on to say this. If there... Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Many translations say the others should judge, should judge what was just said. And if the revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the speaker, the first speaker should stop, for all can prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets, though, are subject to the control of the prophets. Well, I just couldn't help myself. It was God. Well, yeah, you can, according to Paul. You can help yourself. For God, this is it, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And so here's my conviction. It's my conviction that the best place for vocal gifts is within the confines of small groups, not in the large corporate gathering. Why? I'm going to give you two reasons why. In a corporate setting, there is little chance of Whatever's being spoken to be really judged. This is why I don't say God said. This is why when I, and, and I might even know in my heart, this has to be God. I've done it way too many times not to recognize that voice. 
but I don't say God told me. Because if I say God told me, I don't give the listener the opportunity to do what Paul said. Judge it. Now I pit you against God. And you have no chance of judging it because I've already ascribed it to God. And you have no chance of going, well, I don't know about that. I need to go pray about that. So I'll say to somebody, I'm feeling this. This may be helpful, but you need to go pray about it. You go find out. And I've had people come back to me and say, oh, pastor, that was from God. Let me tell you, you're talking about a miracle thing that worked. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. How would you even know to say that? My God, have mercy. That was just a powerful thing you did. And I'm like, all I know is I felt to say that. You have to be the judge of it. The second thing in the corporate setting as Cleveland comes and bells us out of this deep theological sermon. In the corporate setting, that which is spoken can bring confusion and the loss of maintained order to the people that don't understand. And I will tell you this, that we never have a church service at our church that there's somebody there that wouldn't understand. When Paul was writing to these churches, the churches were small. They were a small community, just like we do in our connect groups where people build relationships, where we can know where the source is coming from. My father-in-law, one time years ago, the old church had a lady stop in that nobody knew. And she jumped up in the middle of the service and said, I have a word for this church from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, eat, drink, and get fat. My father-in-law said, and thus saith this pastor, sit down and be quiet. And she said, well, I'll just dust the dust off my feet. And she walked out mad. She violated what Paul was talking about. There was no relational accountability there. It was a violation. And my father-in-law judged it to not be of God. It's of man. I don't see God as the pastor. He did. I'm saying what he said in his heart. Because we talked about it. He said, I don't see God saying that to my church. The church that I pastor. I don't see God saying it like that. Well, praise God. Stand with me. Please. The foundation is clear. Prophesy and speak in tongues and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We pray for them. But when the sun sets on it all, let all things be done in order and decently because God is not the God of confusion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today, I ask that you would help us walk in your concepts and precepts. And I pray that by your spirit, there would definitely be an unction of the Holy Spirit that would work for us through these gifts. But I pray that we would be smart enough to handle them in such a way that would bring honor, that would bring integrity to your kingdom, that would cause people to be attracted to God, not repelled away. And I thank you, Lord, for helping us in all of these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen to that. Praise God.
you are here today and you need a fresh start in your walk with God, if you need to be saved, if you need to give your heart to Him, I wonder if I could have everybody just close your eyes for a second. And if you're here, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you forward, I promise. I am the I don't want to embarrass you pastor, okay? And so if you, if you would like to recommit, rededicate, or dedicate for the first time to the Lord and have a fresh start, just lift your hand up. I saw that hand. Yes, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, church, let's do this. Let's don't embarrass those that raise their hand. Let's all pray together. Would you pray with me? Say, Father, I thank you for this opportunity that I have to rededicate my life, to dedicate my life. I thank you that you brought Christ into this world, that he died for my sins, and that he rose again. And I am thankful that today I can claim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord because God's good to us. Praise God. I'm a little over today. Please forgive me for that. There are three ways to give here at Triumph. The buckets.